You are now listening to Portionality Podcast. I am your host, Portia D. Hey, Saints, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back from actually a much needed, unplanned, and unintentional, but yet turned intentional break from the podcast and from social media kind of in general. I've been posting on social media kind of here and there, but not as consistently as I was before. And much of that has to do with the fact that I was traveling and I have been preaching and teaching here, there, and uh, everywhere. (laughs) And I needed some time to just kind of self-reflect to try to also settle back into my everydayness. And I realized that I wasn't enjoying my everydayness in terms of just my routine. I felt very disorganized. I felt very discombobulated just in terms of my day-to-day routines. And so I took some time to do a self-assessment. I took some time to start a new plan. They say it takes 21 days to establish a new habit. And so after kind of planning, after assessing, I had to implement. And so I just needed time to implement those things. Things for myself. And so uh, some of the things I've had to implement was a more consistent workout routine and workout time. I had to better schedule my devotional time. So I do devotion every single day without without a doubt, I'm going to do devotion at some point. But that's the problem. It was, quote unquote, at some point and not necessarily at the most consistent time every day. So it would be, sometimes it would be in the morning. Sometimes it would be in the afternoon. Sometimes it would be in the evening. But I wanted to give myself a consistent devotional time. And so every morning, I have devotion and then I have workout and then I eat breakfast and then I call my mom. And so I just kind of wanted to establish a routine for the morning and for the night. And just like even little things like setting my clothes out at night and just getting ready for the day, setting an intention for the next day, um, setting my schedule and just looking at my planner, seeing what's coming ahead and and what's, um, you know, up the road, maybe not tomorrow, but what's coming up next week or next month. And so I wanted to kind of establish a routine. And so in order for me to do that, I had to kind of silence some things in my life to kind of declutter, um, not just material things, but also declutter spiritually, mentally, emotionally uh, as well, and even just kind of setting up boundaries. And it's been really good. And so I say I would highly encourage if you are in a space where you feel like you need to reassess and reestablish, I think that taking time for yourself unapologetically, I think it is important for you to just kind of step away Look at your life, look at what your goals are, look at what you're trying to do, think about who you're trying to be and do what you need to do to become that person. Do what you need to do to make those things, those goals, those dreams a reality. And so I say take time for yourself because truth be told, y'all. The only one who has to really live with us is us. And so when you look in the mirror in the morning or when you walk past the mirror 
in the morning. You should want to see someone who is always a work in progress, but someone who's a little bit better than they were the day before. And so we should also just take time to affirm who we are, love on ourselves. You know, if you want to take a hot bath with some bath salts and some bath bombs, do that. If you need to go get your feet done, do that. If you need a massage, do that. If you just need to sit in silence for 15, 20 minutes, do that. If you need to take a, a brisk walk in the morning or, well, now it's getting warm, but you know, do what you need to do for you. Like one of my self-care practices is getting my nails done. I love getting my nails done and it just makes me feel good to know that my hands are, you know, neat, clean, and <laughs> my nails are manicured, right? I, I appreciate that about myself. And that's something that I take serious about uh, caring for myself. And so I feel like whatever your thing is, you should really do it and schedule time for yourself. Schedule yourself and pencil yourself. And I know we get caught up in the day-to-day, the busyness, but you are important. So do what you need to do for you. And with that being said, I'm so glad to be back. I'm so glad that I have scheduled out time in terms of like when I'm going to be podcasting, how frequently I'm going to be podcasting, the types of things I'm going to be podcasting about. I'm very grateful that I have had this intentional time, like a personal sabbatical to kind of do that. And of course, right now we know that there is so much happening um, in the world. There's so much going on. First of all, you know, in terms of the beauty of things, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce just dropped their joint EP. (laughs) Some people may be like, whatever, who cares? But for the rest of us who are actually really excited about it in the midst of the work that we do, um, we celebrate that. We celebrate joy wherever we can find it, Um, especially like if you are on the ground. If you are out here moving and grooving and being on the front lines of justice for some of these things, or you're in the thick of ministry, or if you're in the thick of education or in the thick of law and policy, if you're in the thick of certain things and certain fields, we have got to find joy wherever we can find it and harness it and hold on to it, you know, because there's just so much that we have to pay attention to. And the work that we do can just really get, become so heavy that when things like Jay-Z and Beyonce celebrating their marriage and releasing their album exclusively on title, well, now it's on Apple Music too, but it, releasing it on title, which is their self-made platform, streaming platform, which is a competitive platform, I, I got to give them bigs up and kudos because it's, it's really something special for them as a power couple to have a streaming service, to release whatever music they want to release however they want to release it with no promo or with no notification if they want to do that then great they are essentially a black owned business that in its of itself and so I support that and I am, am saluting them but even in the midst of all of the fun and all of the giggles and all of the cuckoo crazy I still think that we need to focus our attention to some of the things that we do have a voice and a say in. And I think that right now, the evil that we need to continue to call out. Now, some people have been calling this evil out for a minute and I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that there are, there have been a group of us. There have been some of us who have been talking about the border crisis 
for a few years now. Like this is not the first time that we've been talking about the border. And so I have not said much about the border on the podcast. I've not even really said much about it on social media because I try to keep a balance between my work life and my personal life and my social media life. Not to say that they're all not one in in the same, that they're all not together, but I do think that there are boundaries. And it's particularly as it refers to my work with children, I am very sensitive into how I release certain things about how I work with children and what children and I'm working with and how I'm working with them. And so now I'm publicly working with children as a youth pastor. And so my orientation and my relationship to how I'm engaging youth and children is a little bit different from before. So example, I used to work for a grassroots um, organization for education reform. Okay. So I used to do that. I also used to work for summer literacy programs. Okay. So there have been other ways that I have been engaging youth and children for quite some time. And so for me now as a youth pastor, specifically in the pastoral role for caring of the souls of children, not just black and brown children, but really for all children. But I do have a specific mission and a call and a heart for black and brown children. I'm going to be very, very clear and specific about that. Children of color in particular, especially urban children of color pull on my heartstrings in a way that I have to respond to certain things. But I'm being more mindful as I'm maturing that I do not need to respond to everything right away. And I understand that all of us are called to do something and say something when we are under the unction of the Holy Spirit, when God is moving us to say something and to speak on some things. And so... I must say that the border crisis right now is an evil. This whole zero tolerance policy is evil. And what I can say about it is the president is enforcing something that actually has been in place for a while. We have been criminalizing and detaining children at the border for years. There have been children coming across this border who have been hungry, who have been looking for help, who have been fleeing from their countries of Honduras and Guatemala and Mexico, and yet we have been detaining them at the border and no one's been saying anything. And now we have been seeing in mass, in large volumes, in large numbers, we have been seeing parents being separated from their children. We see parents being detained and even deported. We see children being criminalized and even being held in these holding cells. These holding cells are not new. They weren't built yesterday. They weren't built last week. And yes, over the last um 50-something days, 40-something days, we have seen the detaining and uh, um, the containing and the confinement of over 2,000 children who've been separated from their parents. We have been seeing that, and we've seen that there have been lost, um, they've been lost in the system, that people have lost track of them, and it's very, very disheartening to say the least. It is an evil. Anytime that we see America not caring about our children, we need to pay attention and to wake up. 
I truly believe if you want to understand a system, if you really want to see what an institution values, look at how they treat children. And that even goes for churches. I'm going to make that real plain. You can tell a lot about a church. You can tell a lot about a school. You can tell a lot about the government by the way they treat children. And particularly as it relates to the church. The reason why I think the church sometimes has a delayed response to the crisis as it relates to children, because most of the time we see youth ministries being treated as a throwaway ministry. We see it being like the garage to the house, right? It's over there. It's not in here. A lot of times we see youth ministry not being engaged in the ways that we engage women's ministry or the ways that we engage men's ministry or that we value Christian education or even just the preaching on Sunday. I think that it is quite imperative that we focus our attention to how people are treating children. And when you don't see the church on the front lines of education, when you don't see the churches on the front lines of Anything that has to deal with children, especially like Black Lives Matter, (laughs) when you don't see the church on the front line, the institution of the church, right? Because there's a difference between the church building, there's a difference between the church structure and doctrine, and then there's the church, the people. I think individual people care about what's happening, but you don't necessarily see in the name of such and such Baptist church or such and such United Methodist church or such and such Presbyterian church or such and such non-denominational evangelical church, which we definitely a lot of times don't expect these evangel- white evangelical churches to take seriously the call of social justice. I'm not saying that's every case, but in a lot of cases, we do not see them caring about the social justice ministry of Jesus Christ in general. And so I find it to be very problematic that we don't take into careful consideration what is happening at the border. So this thing is multi-layered, right? So I'm going to speak um, in, in response to how I have viewed how the church and how other systems kind of operate, right? I've noticed in my time in ministry, I've noticed in my time growing up as a young person in Bridgeport, Connecticut, I have noticed that America and Americanized, westernized Christianity does not always care about the well-being of urban and rural African-American, Latino, immigrant people of color. They have not given close attention to how they are being treated and how they're being nurtured. Case in point, if you look at the numbers of quote unquote failing school systems and school systems that aren't getting the support that they need. We see a rise in the number of charter schools that are, are that are coming to urban neighborhoods, but we're not seeing a progressive growth being backed up by the state for public schools. 
right? We're not seeing that. We're seeing a lot of resources coming through the charter schools, but yet the charter school discipline system is not one that is affirming of black and brown children. I was temporarily, because I decided to make an exit, a part of the charter school system. And so I know a little bit more about the ins and outs of charter schools. I also understand that I've seen ministry kind of use youth ministry as, oh, we need to do something for the kids, but I'm not really the one who really wants to engage it. And so watching that has been hard for me. It's been a struggle for me because I'm seeing the trauma that is created. I'm seeing the trauma that goes unnoticed. I see the trauma that is going unhealed and undealt with because adults are not taking the time out to respond to the cries of our children in these wilderness places. Now, in my conversations with youth and children, they want someone to care. They want someone to notice and to see that they're hurting. They want someone to notice that they are afraid of school. They want someone to know that they are afraid for their friends, maybe possibly being deported and never coming back. They are afraid of what might happen if... One day they just come to school and the school is being shot up. They are afraid for their own lives for just walking down the street, hanging with their friends after school that maybe a cop or police officer might stop them and frisk them or ask questions and maybe even shoot them because we don't have police accountability. We don't have gun reform. We don't have safe guns, and we don't monitor how guns are being distributed in our communities. We have children who are afraid that their friends are going to be caught up in gang violence. These are out of the mouth of our own babes, and sometimes we don't even know what they're afraid of because a lot of times adults don't even take the time to notice or even act like they care. Our children want someone to care. And then on top of that, for the government to publicly rip children away from their parents. And our children are seeing this on social media. They're seeing this on the news. They are seeing this on the Internet. They're hearing about it. They are afraid because now they're wondering, can I be separated from my mommy and daddy, too? Not even realizing or fully grasping the concept of immigration, but all they see is or hearing is Children are being separated from parents. Children are missing. Children are being forgotten. And they're wondering, am I next? Who hears the cries of these children? Who cares for the cries of these children? And so I'm asking, if you have a child in your home, that you ask them, how are they feeling? You ask them what's going on. Ask them about where are they and how are they feeling and help them to articulate it. But listen, because they are talking, but they don't feel as if people are actively listening. I do think and I do feel That the America that we know, the America that some of us love, 
has had a history of separating children, whether we know it or not. Case in point, American slavery. Think about during the wars where they were separating the Japanese from one another. Think about the moving out of Native Americans through the Trail of Tears and the slaughtering of Native Americans. Think about what we are doing now with the border. Think about how the foster care system is so quick to rip a family apart. Even though, yes, parents are struggling, they're going through, and yes, we got to give safety and protection to our children. But think about how hard it is for parents to get their children back. The system has made it so difficult for a parent to get back on their feet and to then reclaim their children. The system has made it so easy for the children to be snatched out of homes. Without proper investigation, all someone has to do is make a phone call to say, oh, someone so up the street is abusing their child. And without proper investigation, come into the homes and just snatch the children out. And then don't help the parents to get back on their feet to reclaim children. I find that to be very hard and I find that to be very difficult to know that there are children wrapped up in this system who know their parents love them, but are also unsure what's happening because they don't necessarily have full contact with their parent to know that their parent is all right and getting the treatment and the help that they need. We need more transparency in the foster care system. We need more transparency across the border. I also want to note that while America has a history of separating children, I am typically disturbed by Sarah and the Bible, Sarah and the book of Genesis. And when you read the book of Genesis in the teens and you hear the story of Hagar, Abraham and Sarah and Ishmael, And thinking about how Sarah was so upset with the fact that Ishmael was teasing in in, in brotherly play her own son, Isaac. And we see Sarah looking at the son of Hagar. And is saying to herself, this is the son of a slave woman. This is the son of the handmaiden. This is the the son of the darker woman. And she and her child, their presence is jacking up my flow. And is potentially jacking up. What my son is entitled to potentially, potentially they're bonding and creating and forging a relationship. And I don't want them to do that. And so I want Abraham to send her away, get rid of her and get rid of that child. We don't need them. God got us. We good. Right. And so I wrestle with Sarah because now I have through my womanist lens, Sarah has a very right reading to me and I see her as. The mistress saying, get rid of slave woman X. 
Get rid of her. Get rid of that child. Get rid of them. They need to leave. And so seeing her now inducing a trauma on this child and on Hagar and sending them away into the wilderness where hurt, harm, and danger can come upon them because they are not within the protection of a man. You know, we're talking about the culture and the times, right? Context. She is no longer under the protection and now she's been sent away, Hagar and Ishmael. Ishmael's a teenager, right? So he's around 14 years old or so. And so you are literally, Sarah, ripping away this family and separating them. Now, granted, you can't technically be a quote-unquote family because Hagar is property, right? She's technically property. But the idea of with my westernized lens say okay you have a child so that you are now the father and the mother while even though they are not married even though the circumstances are complicated they are still a family it's not a quote-unquote nuclear family as oh a mother a father a, a wife a husband a children white picket fence right no but they are a family in terms of blood relation Sarah, you separated and you demanded that your husband's child be sent away, not really caring about the trauma that would happen to Ishmael once he would be set away. And so it, I wrestle with that story and that narrative much of the time because I can't help but see a father sending his child away and Sarah being a system and a woman who I'm reading as white separating a child from a parent. And some may say, oh, well, that's a stretch, Portia. That's Irene. You know, whatever. You know, read it how you want to read it. But my conviction when I read this text and this context is I'm seeing families being ripped apart, even though you may not say that is family because Hagar is property. But I see father and son being ripped away. I see a child in the wilderness crying under a bush because he's hungry and he has no water and his mother cannot care for him because she does not have the resources to care for him. So she walks away crying. But then the angel says, Hagar, why are you crying? I can't help but see a child in distress and crying call it what you want but there is a child crying there is a child in need who needs help and if we are not careful we will turn our backs on them and we will walk away because we are scared and we don't want to look upon their death like Hagar did or we will send them away and we will demand that they are no longer a part of this family a part of this dream a part of this structure like Sarah or we will go along with the okie doke and say goodbye and just give them a few resources to say we did our job like Abraham I don't know what side of this story sometimes we sit on but I do know for a fact that there is a child who is in need and there is a child at home okay not not even just the child Ishmael who is under a bush who's crying because he's hurting and hungry and needs some help but there is a child in the home there is young Isaac who is witnessing his father sending his brother away there is a child who is witnessing his mother demanding he's seeing family drama 
occur right before his eyes. So there is trauma for both Isaac and Ishmael. There is trauma for both of these children because the grown folks can't quite get it together. And so there's something to be said when children are being ripped apart from families, when children who are not necessarily being ripped away or being sent away, but who are still a part of the quote unquote family structure, i.e. when I think about our American kids, right, who are watching the Ishmaels be sent away and who are hurting, who are crying, who are being separated from parents, who are watching the children's go up to the borders, going at the margins, right? I think about the children who are within saying, what's happening? What's going on? I don't understand. I wonder what kind of trauma are we putting our own U.S. children through? There is already trauma at the border, trauma that is permanent, that cannot be undone to immigrant children. But I wonder about the trauma that is being done to the children who are watching around our country and around our nation. And so this zero tolerance policy is evil. And anytime our children begin to hurt, begin to cry, begin to scream, becoming traumatized, I think we need to respond and we need to act and we need to move. I don't know what you need to do in terms of your context, but I know one thing that everybody can do is call up Washington. Everybody can call up their senators and their representative. Everybody can call up somebody. Everybody can demand and ask their pastor, especially if you tithe into a church, you can ask your pastor, listen, I need you to consider what is happening across the church landscape. You can ask what are we doing to demand justice for our children and you can start in your own community you can start thinking about how the education system has failed our children and I'm I'm going to probably talk more about this because children is something I'm passionate about and so I just wanted to share a little bit about what I'm feeling right now Um, some of the things that I have been thinking about things that I have been um, working on for some time. This is not the first time that I've wrestled with this text. I've actually been wrestling with this text since 2014. And I hear Ishmael's cry. And I hear Isaac's cry. And even though the text writer does not name that Isaac is crying, but I hear him too. Because the children I'm around all the time are crying. And they're questioning and they're wondering what's going on. And so we all have a responsibility in this to love our children, to protect our children, even if our children don't look like us. We sometimes privilege only our children because they're our children. But you got to remember, God loves all the children. And the text says, let the children come to me. That's what Jesus says. And so we've got to consider That even though the children at the border do not belong to the United States of America, they are still children. And they too need someone to listen. And they too need someone to love on them and not rip them away from their parents. So before any more damage is done, we need to take a stand. And that's what I got for y'all. So... As always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, if you want to drop me a line 
you know, feel free. Hit me up on Instagram. You can hit me up on Twitter. You know, I'm at Portionality. You can hit me up um, email. You know, go visit the website, all that good stuff, and reach out to me. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to be back, and I look forward to the next podcast. Everybody, take care. And remember, do something for our children. Do not stand idly by. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode of Portionality Podcast. Can't wait to hear from you when you email me directly at portionality at gmail.com with your topics and with your listener questions. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Portionality. And as always, peace, light, and love, and namaste to you.